listening to First Church Charlotte. and mighty and wonderful and true and we bless you Lord today in Jesus name Lord help us to bring all of our minds into unity here right now help us not to be in your presence but not really be in your presence and so disrespect your presence by pretending to be with you but like a bored lover not really with you Lord Jesus, we want to focus ourselves right now, and we want to say to you, as a body, you're the best thing that's ever happened to us. We just want to say that if it wasn't for your mercy in our life, there would be nobody here. This preacher certainly wouldn't be here. And I so want you to feel our affection heavenward as we come into this house not distracted, not in a pretend attendance, but with our heart focused on you. Speak to us today and let the church say amen. Great to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. I want to commend all of you uh, on a couple, in a couple ways. First of all, I want to say thank you to all of you who support this church through your giving. This church exists because of you. Um, in any church, there are those who come and those who come and support. Occasionally, there's people who support but don't come. <laughs> uh, we've had all of those, but I want you to know everything this church has is because, uh, not not that we are a rich church by any means, and certainly compared to some of other churches, but um, we could not do what we do. We wouldn't have a seat to sit on or a, uh, air, a heat or air conditioning to run without your generosity. And so I, I thank you today. Secondly, I thank all of you who make the effort to attend in, per, in person. I know some of you watch online. Um, uh, I'm not going to get on to you today. I'm saving that for next Sunday. No. <laughs> uh, but I, there's a, a, a news article in the news this morning online. And it was uh, a list of all the churches just in North Carolina that are shutting down because of post-COVID attendance. And they can't have, people aren't, people aren't going to church because of post-COVID attendance. And they had a list just around us of all the churches uh, for sale. I look out at this audience and the, we have a great crowd here. The parking lot's full. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of, probably, I don't know, 10, 20 cars and overflow parking today. Uh, we have a bunch of kids and uh, volunteers working working next door with children, and we have a full house here today. I want to say thank you for value in the house of God. It matters. It matters. Doing life together, doing worship together, even repentance together, uh, to spiritual to togetherness matters. So I'm going to read, first of all, from Romans chapter number eight, and we'll read at verse number one, and then I'm going to skip four chapters to the right, and we're going to read another passage, Romans 12, verse number one. Uh, if we start at Romans 8, 
uh, chapter number eight, verse number one, uh, the first word that you will find is this, there is therefore now uh, no condemnation. That first statement, there is therefore now no condemnation. Somebody say therefore. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, uh, if you go to Romans chapter number 12, and I pick these two passages as examples, there are other passages of this same theme and style uh, that we could read, but for time's sake, we'll focus on two of the most declarative and impactive uh, passages in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse number one, I appeal to you, therefore, let's say it again, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which, if you'll allow me to translate in the NJE version, uh, just makes good common sense, <laughs> which is your reasonable service, which is honestly the least we can do, uh, the writer seems to say. And so I am going to speak to you from this theme. I use themes as an organizing principle in a sermon, and this is the theme, why try? Why do I even try? Why not just give up? Why not just give in? Why would you try? This whole month of February, we've been specifically dealing with love, marriage, and relationships. And if you have spent any length of time in a relationship, even if it's not a romantic relationship, uh, even if it's a friend relationship or a sibling relationship, a family uh, relationship, a work relationship, and you spend any time, real world time in that relationship, you're going to come to a very quick uh, discovery, and that is relationships are hard. Relationships are difficult. If you're sitting by your spouse, you can lean over and smile real big and say, honey, I didn't know that the preacher was preaching to you today. <laughs> relationships are hard. Why do we try and try again? Why do we pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and try again? Why not just give up? Some people do. Why not just say, I've done my best? Why not just walk away? What is the motivation that makes an individual sort out their emotions, order their soul, and try again? Um, I very much have spent more time counseling people in relationship tr trouble than I ever wanted to. <laughs> Why? Relationships are hard. Can I have an amen? Um, marriage is hard. It's easy for a while, uh, and then it gets difficult. <laughs> you start out skiing the greens, and then it turns into the blues, and before, you're not, before you realize it, uh, ski patrol is taking you down the mountain on one of those little sleds because life threw you off a double diamond, and um, gravity caught you on the way down. <laughs> um, it is difficult. Relationships are difficult. Friendships are are, uh, difficult. There's all these reasons to quit trying. Why do some people try and try again? The saddest moment 
in a marriage when they're having trouble, the saddest moment in pastoral counseling is when sitting at a table, sitting in an office, uh, talking to a couple, I suddenly realize, much to my distress, that one of them is done trying. The saddest moment is the moment when you realize somebody is finished. Because if you will not try, there is nowhere to take somebody. If you will not show up, it won't matter whether or not you needed to be there. Do you see? Uh, the difficulty overwhelms us. The exhaustion and frustration soars within us. And pretty soon, our emotions are stronger than our reason to try. Even if the reason to try is better, even if it is more, shall we say, honorable, if our emotions get to a point where our reasons to continue are washed away, then we find ourselves in a situation where it does not matter if I, as a counselor, could help you. Why does it not matter? Because you're done trying. It doesn't matter if there is a book that you could read that could help you understand first yourself and then someone else. You'll never understand someone else without first having some understanding in yourself. And if you reverse those orders, you will live out another form of self-deception. And instead of understanding someone, you will sum them up with accusation. But having deceived yourself, you have no chance of understanding them. It will not matter if I, as a pastor, could encourage you if you don't show up ready to work. Come on. It doesn't matter if I, as a leader, a counselor, a Bible teacher, could assist you. If you are finished trying, then it's all done. Uh, so I've come to tell you why I want you to keep trying today. I've come to tell you why you should get up. You should start over. You should organize yourself. You should order your soul. You should remind yourself of your values. And you should try and try again. And that's what I want to preach to you here. So help me, God. Well, somebody help me here for a little while while I try to do that. Um, uh, there's not many pharmacist jokes. So when I find one, I have to tell everybody. Uh, I dedicate this to my wife. Here's uh, my new favorite pharmacist joke. A woman goes to the pharmacist. She says with much distress in her voice, I need to buy some arsenic. Well, this is not what the pharmacist is used to hearing. He says, why, why would you need arsenic? The woman said, I need arsenic because I want to kill my husband. <laughs> he said, oh my goodness, why would you even say that? She said, you heard me. I want to kill my husband. He said, why on earth? earth would you want to kill your husband? And the woman said, because my husband is having an affair with your wife. And the pharmacist said, is the Lord trying to say something here? I mean, I got my eyes on you, Lord, speak. I thought the same, Lord. It was suspicious to me too. Because he's having, or, or because, excuse me, <laughs> he's having an affair with your wife. And the pharmacist said, well, <laughs> why didn't you tell me you had a prescription? 
Relationships are hard. We have to try and try again. Somebody say it with me. I have to try and try again. Say it again. I have to try and try again. Tell the person you're sitting by. I have to try and try again. Tell them when you're on my nerves. I have to try and try and try. And again, I say try. And Lord, help me. I'm about to kill you. Try. And don't make me bust a cap up in here. Try. (laughs) We don't believe in divorce, but we believe in homicide. Um, So I have to try and try again. And I want to be dead clear about this. If I won't try, it won't matter if you could have helped me. If I won't try, it won't matter if the Spirit could have guided me. If I won't try, it won't matter if there was good advice in the pastoral team to encourage me. If I won't try, nothing else matters. So uh, notice what the Apostle Paul does here. He writes in the book of Romans one of the greatest exposés on uh, uh, the theology of grace and how God led us through creation, fall of humanity, the uh, curse of sin, to the rise of faith. Because if we cannot achieve righteousness, all that is left for us is to have faith in God's righteousness and how the story of humanity's fall is uh, also mirrored by the story of God's love and how he overcame the curse of death and hell. And starting with Abraham, he invited his covenant people to believe in him. And if they could believe on him, his power, his promise, and his righteousness, he would grant that faith to them as though they had attained righteousness. So I give faith and the Lord imputes to me righteousness. That is not a license to sin, what that is, is a changing of the motivation from fear to love, from fear to love. In other words, because the penalty of sin is removed, God can actually see what's in my heart. Because if it doesn't cost me anything, what do I want to do then? Whatever you're doing for God is an act of love. It's not a get out of hell free card. It's an act of love. Whatever you're doing to discipline yourself, whatever you're doing to try and try again, whatever you're doing to serve the Lord, whether good, whether not so good, and you know how well you're doing, you know about where you are, even if you don't want to always be honest about it, you know, uh, and you're challenged and I'm challenged and we have to decide what we're going to do. Uh, God has given us his righteousness. Therefore, what is revealed is not our self-interest, but our heart, our love. That's why Christianity reveals the love that is within us. That's why love never fails. That's why we're transformed by the love of God. He gives us his righteousness. Therefore, salvation is not our accomplishment, lest we would boast. Don't have time to preach this. But if you don't understand this, you need to go back and read the New Testament because you've missed something rather big. Yes. Okay, Uh, we are given a salvation through his righteousness and therefore the life I live does not reveal my worthiness of salvation. It reveals the consequences of my love for God. 
So your works are not a plan of salvation. They can be worship. If you love me, keep my commandments, he said. Not if you're trying to dodge hell. If you love me, do you see? The motivation has been changed. If you love me, keep my commandments. Or it can be testimony. Let men see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But it cannot be an accomplishment of personal attainment lest we boast in Christ died in vain. Again, if you don't understand this, your Christianity is a label and not the gospel, okay? What then do we do with the great grace that God has given us? What then do we do? We begin to be motivated by a love for God. The love of God is your motivating why. I want to say it again. I want to say it to everybody. Loving God is your why. Now, you think about that, okay, but what does that actually uh, feel like in my life? Well, let's, let's continue uh, together. Paul gives us eight chapters of the most profound and beautiful insight into the theology of grace and the history of spiritual covenant. And then he says, after uh, chapter number seven, after confessing the reality of sin, he says, uh, there is what? Say it with me. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now. In other words, all of this means something. There is a reality that has to be lived out on the basis of what God has done for us. Uh, I was speaking with a woman here recently who was, uh, I was at the bank and she was telling us about how she's a Hindu and Hindus, I actually know a little bit about it. My formal education is in uh, religious studies and so I've probably been more exposed than the average bear to world religions and uh, she was telling me uh, and telling us that she didn't believe in one God. She believed there's many gods. And I understood what she was saying, and it wasn't really a time for us to talk theology, but I understood what she's saying because I've, I've read the, 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 the path of Dharma before. So let me real quick give you a 30-second introduction to the idea of Dharma in Hinduism. Uh, you can believe whatever you believe, but the, 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 the God you serve, the system you choose... Uh, should then be lived out by you, whatever that means. And how you live out what you've decided to believe is your dharma. Um, okay, sounds sounds reasonable, at least to the carnal ears that uh, we have. But I, I want to point out to you if, you, if you don't like your life, what you could do is you could just find a different deity who emphasized something else, and that would change your what? Your dharma. You could find a deity who said this was okay, and that one said, it wasn't okay. And so what you do is you have a, a type of um, cafeteria line of deities and you match up your deity with what you want it to be. And then you live the system. And Hinduism, because we can't kill all each other, they basically say this, look, you do you, whatever you're going to believe, you do that and I'll do that and we'll call it Dharma. Now, this is not uh, the path of the Christian choice. Uh, Christianity is built upon the uh, tremendous accomplishment of Jesus Christ, which has consequences. Amen. 
And this is what Paul is getting at. He shows us grace. He shows us faith. He shows us the power of covenant. He shows us how God became the Lamb of God, how he became uh, the altar, how he became the high priest, how he became uh, the sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat. He put it all into his essence and being infinite. He had no problem carrying within himself all the fulfilled prophecy and all the sins of the flesh. And at Calvary, they led him to that place of the skull and they spread his hands and his feet and they drove the nails through those hands and they lifted him up as an effigy that both condemned humanity and gave humanity hope. And that is where we all find him at Calvary, bridging a gap between the heavens and the earth, our only path to spiritual regeneration. And Paul says all of that to us. He reveals all of that to us. And having revealed it all, he says this to us, all that has consequences. Thank you. That, in other words, therefore, you should live your life a certain way. Uh, that, therefore, is your spiritual why. Why you showed up today instead of staying at home. Why you repent of your sins this past week rather than giving up and giving in. Why you go back to your husband or your wife and you say, I've let a bad attitude get a hold of me and I said some things I shouldn't have said and I am sorry for what I've said. You need to learn how to apologize and you need to make sure your kids hear you apologize. You don't want to create a culture in your family where we don't apologize. That'll brood over your family like a curse. Why do we apologize? Why at an altar even when we're praying, we remember we have aught with someone, we have trouble with someone, we follow the advice of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do? We stop praying. Spirituality will not cover bad ethics. You cannot hide bad ethics over under super spirituality. I've met some people who tried to do that. They were always talking and preaching about Jesus, but they had a problem paying their bills. Don't be that guy. It's self-deception. Stop what you're doing at the altar. Go make things right. Then come back to an altar. Why do we try and try and try and try? Why do we get ourselves up? Why do we repent of our selfishness? Oh, it's quiet. That's okay. I just preach a little longer when it's quiet. Doesn't bother me any. Why do we repent? Why do I go back to the altar? Why do I catch myself and ask myself, is this who I'm really trying to be? Is, is, is this the life I want to live? We find ourselves like a tax collector with Jesus at our table. And Jesus is saying to us, all right, bud, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Have you thought about who you want to be? Have you thought about what kind of a husband or wife you want to be? Have you thought about what kind of a parent you want to be? Have you thought about what kind of a, a, a worker, a, a professional, a whatever it is you do? Have you thought about it or is your life just kind of rolling on and your comfort zone always matters more than your why? Yeah. 
So let me say it this way. If your comfort zone matters more than your why, you'll never change anything. You'll never apologize for anything. You'll never start over. Why? Your comfort is the God you're really serving. Christianity is just a habit you occasionally put on and a label you conveniently wear. You have to have a why that says, I will try and try again. I will not give up. I will repent of who I've let myself become. Change is the hardest thing any of us do. Here we are going into, we're in the middle of the second month of the year. I should discourage you all and ask a poll, how many of you have kept the diet you started on January 1st? Um, but I don't want to kill the spirit like that. A few of you have, some of, some of you haven't. I uh, see I've got victory back there from my brother. It's quite a testimony, my brother. I am always impressed when people uh, really find the grit to change. They really find the grit to change. We all have emotional desire to change. All of us, I, you know, I want to be 195 with a six pack. Instead, I'm 215 with a beer keg. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, we all, we all, but to have change, you have to have a why because emotions will not keep you. You have to have a why. Emotions will not last. Emotions are a type of in, uh, personality disorder <laughs> that we all have and we all deal with. What is your why? I, I, made three commitments um, in my personal eating at the first of the year. And I want you to know in two of those, I'm not telling you what I did because it's none of your business and it's slightly embarrassing. Um, I, two of them, I have done a magnificent, most glorious job of actually keeping those two commandment, commandments, excuse me, personal commandments. I haven't slipped at all, but one of them, I am an abject failure and have crashed with great despair and to the very valley of discouragement. Two of them, I. but why would I say, all right, bud, you've had your fun. Let's tighten back up. Why would I do that? If your why is not bigger than your comfort, you'll never change anything. I have a friend I found out recently, he'd lost, uh, last year he lost almost 80 pounds. And um, I asked him, I was like, I'm always fascinated by this because it's hard. Uh, if, if you're one of those people who it's easy for you to lose weight, um, I just want you to know I love you, but I hate you a little bit. <laughs> I just want to say that for the record. I love you, but I hate you. Um, and right now I'm feeling one more than the other. I just won't say which one. Um, it's hard to really change the way you live. It's hard whether or not you change how you eat. That's one of the hardest. Whether or not you decide you're going to start working out every day, which would be good for all of us. None of us want to eat good and work out. Come on now. Who wants to be depressed like that? <laughs> We all want to make excuses, but you got to die something. Might as well be bacon. <laughs> no, no, no one wants to do it. You have to find your why or there'll always be a reason. I asked, I asked my friend, I, I said, what was the moment when you knew you had to change? He lost a third of his body weight. He said, I woke up one morning, I got on the scales, I was 299 pounds. And, if I, asked, and I asked myself, all right, when am I expecting to lose this? In my 40s? Because he's in his 30s. When am I expecting to lose this? It's either now or I'll just become the guy who always has the reason why. I was fascinated by that uh, because I'm, I'm, I, change is hard. I've seen people who nearly destroyed their relationship. Both turn their hearts toward each other and begin to work. And here's the thing. They have to tend the garden God has given them. God will not tend your garden. He will give you a garden, but you have to tend it. <laughs> 
Now, you can stand in the middle of your garden and look at your neighbor's garden and say, oh, the grass is greener over there. And as you know, the grass is greener where it's watered. Don't get mad at him because he waters his grass and you don't. Mm, My God preaching good. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? What motivates us? Now is the time to change. Now is the time to actually make a difference. And Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, what is your why? You see, as I referred to earlier, Hinduism doesn't have that moment of moral and spiritual clarity. It doesn't have 11 chapters of clear, objective, profound, historical, and spiritual truth, and then say, therefore, live this way. But Christianity absolutely does. It has an imperative based upon what God has done for us. So I want to answer this question for all of you, if God will help me. Why should I try and try again? Whether it's in my personal life, whether it's something in a self-discipline stewardship area, whether it is in a relationship area, whether it's in a ministry error, excuse me, not error, but area. Um, Whatever it is, why should I be relentless? Why should I, like the Lord, set my face as a flint toward Jerusalem and say nothing is going to stop me? Why should I try and try again? I'm going to tell you why. Because of what God has done for you, you ought to try and try and try and try. You ought to stop being impressed with your failures and you ought to try again. You ought to stop being impressed with your excuses. You ought to try again. You ought to stop worrying about what it looks like, what happened back in the day. You should try again. You should stop worrying about who was right in the fight you had. You should try again. So I want to read to you Psalms 103, and we're going to read the first five verses, and then I'll uh, reference some verses in the psalm. This is one of the psalms of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. How many of you grew up singing that song that uses verse number one? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. My wife, my wife liked that. I don't care if you did or not. Uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Notice this. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things? So that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. Why should you try again? The first thing I want to refer you to is what he said, that he is the Lord who pardons all of our iniquities. Verse number 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. But he has as the Bible says, not rewarded us according to our iniquities. Verse number 12, as far as the east is from the west, do you see? He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. Here's the reality of uh, habits of sin. Those habits will turn into a type of toxicity in your life. And a point will come where you are identified by the bad habits that are shaping you 
and forming you. And soon the enemy of your soul will show up and he will want to identify you by your failures. Why? I'll tell you why. Because if he can get you to be identified by your failures, you will quit that's why when the enemy shows up to you in the middle of your trouble, the enemy always says you ought to quit because of this failure. You ought to give up because of that embarrassment. You ought to give up because this is the same thing you've repented for over and over. The enemy wants you to be identified by your failures because once your failure becomes your identity, you're going to quit trying. It's not what you do. It's now who you are. So I want to tell you this truth about you. This is why you ought to get up and try again. He pardons all your iniquities. You are not your past. Can I get an amen from this side of the church over here? I want to tell everybody, you are not your past. How about you guys right here? I know the enemy would like to accuse you about what happened last year, happened when you were in your 20s, happened when you were a teenager. You are not your past. Do not let hell identify you by your sins. Your Savior pardons all your iniquities. I want to tell you right here, I want you to know you are not the label hell has put on you. I want to tell you over here, your mistakes are not your destiny. At most, your mistakes are a classroom where God works on you and improves you. And this is your why. God has forgiven you all your iniquities. So I need you to get yourself up. I need you to dust yourself off. I need you to try all over. Lord Jesus, I'm praying right now that this would resonate in somebody's heart here. Oh God, don't let us have some uh, kind of casual relationships with what you have done with us, but let us be moved and motivated to real spiritual maturity and growth because of your great work in our life. Oh God, stir us by your power, minister to us and through us by your anointing. In Jesus' name we pray and let somebody say amen. Now put your hand hands together and give God a hand clap of praise. The second reason why you ought to try and try again is because he heals all your diseases. Uh, he heals all your diseases. He is the one who is able to take brokenness and still fulfill destiny in your life. He's the one who is able to cast your, uh, how shall we say, your life-defining errors into a sea of forgetfulness. That's something most of us can't do. We we struggle to forget what we know about somebody, uh, but if we're going to be used of God, we have have to let rebirth happen in people's lives. There is a why that's greater than our comfort zone. There is a why that's more important than the label people puts on us. He heals all your diseases. Notice this about really bad self-defeating behaviors. If you do them long enough, they will form and malform who you are. If you do them long enough, they will in many ways, uh, in the same way that 
life can mold you for the good. It can deform you for the bad. And you find yourself living a life that uh, this is not what you set out for. Um, your, no, your mother did not bounce you on her knee and say, I hope this baby grows up to be this. Uh, you're disappointed. Your loved ones are disappointed. And uh, you think to yourself, I am now formed by my errors. And I no longer have bad habits. I have diseases. This is how alcoholism can become a disease. This is how drug addiction can become a disease to a point where it is so much bigger in its power over me that to understand me, you have to understand this disease because who I am on drugs and alcohol is not really who I am. Do you see? And so I, 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 I have been so trapped uh, by these bad habits that turned into uh, life-defining maladies in my life that I I have to have hope that I can start over and try again. I have to believe that there's something worth fighting for here. This matters. This is very, very important. There's something worth fighting for here. There's your whole future. There is everything God said you can be. No, the institutions of your life can't make you new, but God can make you new. The hospital system can't make you new. They're going to keep looking at that same record. The judge is going to keep looking at that same record. You have one screaming why in your life that can get you started over again, and that is this. With Jesus Christ, all things can can be made new. I can start all over again. Number three, the Bible says he redeems your life from the pit. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me, heard my cry. He lifted me up from the miry clay, from the pit, and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my going. He put a new song in my mouth. In the pit, you don't feel like singing, but I need to give you a why. I need to give you a reason to push past your comfort zone. I need to give you a why to try, whether it's in marriage, whether it's a relationship with children or parents, whether it's siblings, whether it's friends, whether it's career, whether it's something as simple as going back to school because you didn't do something that was very important to you. You didn't finish something that was very important to you. I'm here to preach to you. It's time to get the why in your life stronger than the comfort zone, that which motivates you, that which stirs you, that which says, I will not let this miry pit be the end of my story. God will lift me out of this miry pit and he will get me my feet back on stable ground. And when I realize things are not always going to be the way they've been, it's going to put a song of praise in my heart. It's going to put thanksgiving on my lips. Number four, he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Look at verse number eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Look at verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are beloved. 
but dust. You should have a reason to try again in every venue of your life because God knows you better than you know you. And God is completely invested in your abundant future. Lastly, notice verse number five. He satisfies abundantly your ornament with good. Now that's not, that is not uh, the King James version. That was a version that I I grabbed when I was studying and I threw it in there. Um, But it is a accurate translation to translate that scripture in the same way. He satisfies abundantly your ornament with good. What are you saying? It's the same thing that the idea of the Lord crowning us with goodness, crowning us with uh, kindness. He, verse four, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. What is the lesson here? A crown is not for you. A crown is for others to whom you have a formal role. If you've ever watched a movie about royalty or a TV show about royalty and you see that character playing a formal role within the government, you'll see they're always wearing uh, ceremonial clothing. They have on ceremonial robes, ceremonial jewelry, ceremonial crown. And if the camera follows them out of the formal role where they're wearing a crown and follows them into the private quarters, the first thing you'll see, and you'll see this on almost any film that shows you royalty, they start taking off all this heavy, heavy stuff. The crown wasn't for them. It was for the people watching them. He blesses you so the people in your life can see how good he is. He crowns you with his loving kindness. Don't be ashamed of the blessing of God in your life. Don't be ashamed of the goodness of God in your life. It is a testimony, not for you, but for everybody in your world, that there is a blessing to the one who seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, because he has promised to add to them everything else that they need, all the desires of their heart and their life. He has an ability to bless you and crown you with his blessing, his goodness in your life. And now it's not just a celebration of what he can do in a sort of type, a type of spiritual power, which we are very comfortable with celebrating the power of the Lord. Now there is a testimony of stewardship. The Lord hasn't just done for me. The Lord has transformed me. And now you see blessing in my life that are the result of what God has done in me. Every one of us need the testimony of God's blessing and God's goodness upon us. It is the will of God for us to live being crowned with his loving compassion and his kindness. And can the church say amen? So there are five things in this passage that we read together. I'm going to give them to you as places. This idea is from Alexander White, who's a commentator, and I love this idea. Uh, He says this, in these verses, he's talking about Psalms 103. And musicians, you can come. I'm, I'm wrapping up here. In these verses, we have the law court. The scripture says he pardons all of your iniquities. We have the hospital. The scripture says he heals all your diseases. We have the reality of bondage, the slave market. He redeems your life from the pit. We also have the throne room. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. And we also have the banquet hall. 
He satisfies your spirit with good things. Now, back to the original premise of my message. Why try? Here's why. Because God has been so good to you. I want you to look at the the pressure points of your life. You have pressure points in your life. It might be in your marriage, say. It might be in uh, another close relationship of your life. Pressure point. How much of that is the result of you letting your comfort zone be more important than your motivation? How much of it is you letting your whys be squelched down to nothing and let your comfort rise to importance? That is the very definition of living selfishly. How much of that could be changed by us looking at ourselves, beholding ourselves as it were in a looking glass and saying to ourselves, do I have a reason to try better? Do I have a reason to try harder? Should I just give up? The moment you give up, it won't matter if someone gives you the answer because you've quit trying. It's time for us to pick ourselves up dust ourselves off and say, because of God's goodness in my life, I'm going back to that pressure point. (laughs) I'm going back to that failed relationship. I'm going back to that. What is it for you? Go back to it and say, Lord, you're my reason why. Let me point out something about Christians here today. It's easy to look around the church house and think, oh, (laughs) these people are so good. We have got you fooled. Oh, they're so righteous. Well, I mean, maybe Sister Venice, but the rest of us 50-50, you know what I'm saying? Oh, they're so good. You would be surprised what church people are capable of. And you'd be surprised at some of the stuff church people were involved in before they got in church. You'd be surprised at some of the ugliness that is in our heart, the capacity for malevolence that is within us. You might be surprised how far God has brought us. Let me tell you something about grace. Some come from far. And here we all are. And sometimes that old man or woman in us wants to come out again. It might be something silly like someone cutting you off in traffic. It might be something serious like someone setting out to destroy your career in the workplace. I've seen both happen to good people. Why do we come back to an altar and say, I'm here to try again, Lord? It's not because we're good. (laughs) And don't misunderstand what you perceive as our attempt to be good as goodness. Because there is a difference between the attempt to be good and goodness. That difference is the difference between a lightning bug and the lightning. That's the difference. But we come back into the house. So to all my married people here today, I want you to go back to your relationship. Can y'all handle this? I don't care if you can't. I'm I'm giving it to you anyway. I want you to go back and apologize. I want you to go back and say, I'm sorry about that. I had a really bad attitude. 
I want you to go back to the toxicity you're living with, that arena where you, you, you go out of your way to avoid it. You walk on tiptoes. I want you to go back to it. And I want you to say this. I want you to stand in front of that failure. And I want to say that I want you to say this to yourself. There's only one reason why I'm here to try to clean up this mess. There's only one reason. And that reason is this. God's been so good to me. The least I could do is try to make it right. Stand with me all across the house. God, you've been so good to us. The least I can do is repent of my sins and try again. You have blessed me so abundantly. The least I can do is go back, make things right, apologize, and try again. Lord, you have shown me what true love really looks like. And I'm amazed by that true love. When I think of just how unworthy I am, I wouldn't have put up with me, oh God. I wouldn't have put up with me. I look at the the vanity of my 20s and some of my 30s before life really beat it out of me. And I'm I'm embarrassed, God. I I look back at some things I've said and I, I just... If I could sell me for what I knew or thought I knew and buy me for what I knew, I'd be rich as anything. Lord, I've done the dumbest things. I've opened my mouth when nothing needed to be said. I've acted like I'm the most important person in the room and you were in the room. here. And I want to say thank you for mercy. I want to say thank you for grace. And because of your grace and your mercy, because you're good, the least I can do is start over again. Repent of the ignorance that I'm capable of. Repent of the errors that I'm ever so capable of. And say, here I am to make this life you've given me better. Here I am to tend the garden that you have placed me in. Here I am to make beautiful what you have given to me as beautiful potential. You gave it to me as beautiful opportunity, beautiful potential. And I'm here to get my hands dirty, oh God. I'm here to dig in. I'm here to show up. I'm here to get my wise with more fervency than my comfort zone. I want to show up. I want to work hard. I'm starting again because of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. If you're with your family or with your loved ones or a good friend, I'd like to invite you guys to step out as family units or as friend groups. Or I'd like you to come make your way as close to the altar as we can here today. I want us to pray as the groups that make life, the networks of our life. And so I'd like all of you who will to step out. Um, and unless you are physically unable, I'd like you to go uh, come as close as you can. I'd like you to go find uh, friends, uh, somebody you do life with, uh, family members. I'd like you to stand with them. Um, right now, I'm going to give you a moment to reorient yourself in this house, and then we're going to pray together. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. 
you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.